This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good Tuesday afternoon, everyone, otherwise known as Regatta Eve in these parts around the Royal St. John's Regatta, which... Uh, I have to say, it's looking pretty good for the go-ahead tomorrow. Um, Roulette won't be such a challenge or uh, such a risque event, probably not tonight, Um, especially with um, festivals on the go. Uh, And when you look at all the considerations at play here, so the very latest, uh, I'm sure everybody is easy enough to check the weather these days, but looking at uh, just a chance of showers in the afternoon, but basically light winds in about 21. That's about as good as we could ask for considering um, a couple of weeks ago the heat might have been um, might have caused uh, issues and played havoc with the regatta but uh, especially with the rowers but when you consider about consider uh, the rowers and um, their conditions and then the uh, race watchers and people who want to just go down and then the concessions in the businesses who obviously for some of them it's uh, one of the biggest fundraising days of the year so all things considered, uh, going by past regattas, and I've lived here my entire life and watched them come and go, it's looking pretty good for tomorrow. And no one's going to say for sure, but uh, tune in right here tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And uh, we'll be here in our own VO since Brian Medor will be downside, lakeside, religiously as he's always, um, to uh, give the go or no go. But if I were a betting man, which I'm not. And uh, but a lot of people are these days. Holy Moses, you can't watch a Blue Jays game without being smacked in the face with it or any other sports. Hey, Font. Yeah, no, I can't do it. I man, I played twenty bucks once on a cruise ship, lost it, and I'm still not over it. So yeah, nope. I, I put uh, a toonie into the ferry, uh, a VLT on the Prince Edward Island ferry. Mm. Um, I think it was Prince. Yeah, it was a small ferry, uh, the Pictou County one, and we won forty bucks. Wow. This is 20 years ago, and we pocketed the 40 and walked away. That was like winning. That was like winning 60 bucks now. A toonie, and oh, that's the thing, though. That would make you go, "Oh well, okay, we got to play that out." But yeah. no, we no. took it, walked away. No, I'd, I'd take the money and run as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see what else is in the news. This being news talk and all. Um, earlier uh, today, while well, you're hearing in the news, I was in court, um, and yesterday, Hibernia Management Development Company they were fined four hundred thousand dollars for a spill four years ago. Uh, about um, 12,000 liters spilled. Um, and interestingly enough, we put that story in the news today, and then lo and behold, if I can find it here, um, uh, today the uh, Hibernia, well, the CNLOPB is reporting that there was a, what we call these near misses. Seems like always a strange term to call it a near miss, but um, an incident that had the potential to be fatal, and it happened just a week ago, I guess, July 25th, during the lifting of a chemical tank from the Hibernia platform to a support vessel, and a four-pound piece of timber from the tank support frame fell about 15 meters to the deck of the vessel. No injuries and no personnel were inside the... um, the, the area that they weren't supposed to be, no liftings. However, they say it could have uh, it could have easily, if that had to hit someone, that would have been it. So um, HMDC, the Hibernia Management Development Corporation uh, company, is uh, investigating the root cause of the incident, and the CNLOPB, the regulator, regulator is monitoring. Um, and let's see, elsewhere, um, I don't know if it's been, if you'd say cleared, but certainly the... Um, 
the uh, Commissioner for Legislative Standards has found that there's no, quote, reasonable grounds to conduct an inquiry into that incident in Premier Andrew Fury's fishing trip to a luxury lodge owned by John Risley, the man behind uh, World Energy GH2 company that is trying to get, or not trying, but has been shortlisted for wind projects here in the province. But um, anyway, the Premier, of course, defended the trip, saying in his own dime, in his own time. And now the, uh, the report says that uh, a formal meeting was held in the Premier, and they were allowed to re review the receipts, which showed that uh, it was indeed personal funds, not public funds. And uh, also looked into the so-called ethical walls that were being the Premier had mentioned in the um, course of this story. And, um, and basically concludes that the concerns raised by the Tories are subjective in nature. And the allegations of a conflict of interest must be objectively justified and yada, yada, yada. But no evidence to, to suggest that the Premier, you know, furthered private interests of himself or his family in that whole incident. So there you go. That's released uh, today right ahead of the regatta. I'm always suspicious of when things are released, and such as the Friday, the famous Friday afternoon news releases at 4.45. But uh, I digress. Uh, this report is out and it's in the news and uh, judge for it as yourself. It's also available online, of course, with the Commissioner of Legislative Standards. It'll be a public report. And the federal NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh, is in the province. Um, arrived yesterday. Or, well, he was, he's been in town. He'll be in town for a couple of days. Held a, a news conference down outside the uh, old Memorial Stadium. Now the Dominion, of course. And, of course, sadly, um, the uh, bigotry and racist uh, and, and homophobia had to rear its ugly head today. Now, uh, Noah Shepard was down for VOCM, covered this event uh, earlier this afternoon. And um, while he was down there, you know, questions were going back and forth. And someone drove by and had a few things to say. Now, I've, I, I have some tape here. I've bleeped out any of the profanities, but you get the, the gist of it. Uh, I'll run it here now for you. And, um, and then right after um, Jagmeet Singh, the federal NDP leader, uh, responds. So I'll just have a listen to this. We've got to stand up for workers right now. We've got to stand up for families that are saying, how do we afford our groceries? This is a serious problem. This is a serious problem. We got to take on the grocery prices that are so high and make sure people can afford it. Maybe I'll, I'll take a pause if, if anything goes on. If, if not, I'll say it's right. Uh, listen, if you're uh, if you're homophobic, you know, keep it to yourself. You know, your homophobia is very inappropriate. It's very inappropriate. You're driving away. You're driving away and causing an accident. I'm right here. You can have a conversation if you like. Well, one thing is, uh, you know, someone driving by and yelling something, obviously not interested in having a conversation. If they want to have a conversation, I'm always open to chatting with people. But driving by and yelling is, I think, uh, an example of something maybe in their own life that they're dealing with, that, that they're expressing that in a, in a way that's not really effective or helpful. Uh, but I've got to say, I've spent uh, an, an, a lot of time now in Newfoundland and Labrador. I was at the George Street Festival last night. Uh, I was meeting with workers, meeting with people, and I've had an incredible reception, and people have been very warm. And so, you know, one-off someone yelling something is not something that's going to uh, disturb me. I'm worried, though, about the climate where, where people are not willing to have a conversation but are so upset they just want to yell and scream, uh, where there's legitimate frustrations with the cost of living, with the cost of rent, the cost of mortgage. I want to acknowledge that that type of anger is real and, and important. Uh, someone driving by and yelling something and not willing to have a conversation is a, is a separate matter, I think. 
And that is the uh, federal NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh, speaking there down outside the uh, Dominion, um, former Memorial Stadium, uh, Dominion by Kitty Vitty Lake, down there today while somebody drove by and yelled some slurs back and forth. One of the slurs basically had to do with, you know, go back where you're from, that kind of tired, brutal old line. Kind of from here, isn't he? he yeah, well, this while. is it. He grew <laughs> he up in part. <laughs> he, he spent a good portion of his childhood in my neighborhood, back in the West End around Byron Park. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's uninformed. It's racist. It's bigot. It's deep-rooted. My concern is these people have children who probably are around it all day mm-hmm. uh, because they live with the, the parents who, uh, you know, espouse these views. So that's that's my larger concern because it just doesn't stop then it just um, permeates but anyway um, you know it's amazing how some of the politicians they've it's not the first time they deal with this kind of stuff at, at events it's, it feels like it's become worse in recent years but um, uh, they they certainly handle it well I yeah. mean they, they do it enough and they have advisors and that sort of thing and they know how not to how to try to, to, to diffuse a situation like that as opposed to ramp it up. Anyway, um, held it well there, uh, Jagmeet Singh Dean. And after the break, we'll actually get into some of the big issues, uh, the bigger issues. Uh, a Q&A, a question and answer there, a session between reporters and Jagmeet Singh outside Dominion. We'll go to that right after the break. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain on News Talk. We'll be right back. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. Brian Callahan back with you on the program. Uh, just before the break, heard there from NDP leader, federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Uh, he held a, um, a news conference outside uh, Dominion down by Kitty Vitty Lake earlier this afternoon. Our VOCM's Noah Shepard was there. And here, um, let's see, so that was uh, just after lunch this afternoon. Yeah, so we're really excited with our candidate, Mary Shortle, as folks know, is is a longtime fighter for people in, in across the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. She's the past president of the Federation of Labor, and so has been a representative for workers, is someone who's going to be an incredible champion for the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. And for a long time, I've heard from people that they haven't had that voice in Parliament fighting for them, standing up and saying what the government's doing is wrong. And I put to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, we need a new Democrat representing St. John East again, someone that's going to fight for you. And if you elect enough of us, we can actually be the ones calling the shots and not just bringing in dental care and bringing in a doubling of the GC rebate, but making decisions every day that help workers, that lift up families. Obviously, as you've been saying, grocery prices are high across the country and across the board in this province as well. Um, But people in northern communities in Labrador, they're especially high at grocery stores there. So what do you think needs to happen to specifically address so uh, I want to acknowledge that that there are communities that are harder hit, that more remote communities, uh, more rural communities, and often uh, communities that are in the far north are harder impacted by the cost of living in general, and particularly with the cost of grocery prices. So what we're proposing, the measures we're proposing to bring in more competition, to bring in more relief for workers, to put in better penalties when there is price fixing or any sort of consumer abuse, these are measures that are going to help people in the north, absolutely. In addition, we need to look at better ways 
ways to make sure that people in the north have access to affordable food, uh, looking at ways to make sure that the government can provide the right supports to get people in the north uh, to have access to those foods. Uh, the existing programs, people have been very critical. There's been a lot of subsidies for the companies, and those subsidies for the companies don't actually benefit the people. And we've got to find a better way to ensure that the people are actually getting access to food that's affordable. You mentioned the rising cost of living. One of the things that I think has been uh, impacting people recently is, of course, the federal um, I just wanted to get uh, your opinion on this new tax, which seems to be uh, disproportionately affecting people in Atlantic Canada due to the price of shipping goods. Uh, well, a couple of things that, that in terms of the, the price on fuel, one of the things that we're, we're looking at is the fact that in, in Newfoundland and Labrador in particular, a lot of Canadians uh, or a lot of people in this region rely on, on those type of fuels for heating their homes. So one of the proposals that we have to reduce some of the pressure to give people some relief is to, to end uh, or to stop charging GST or HST on home heating. That's something that I think would make a lot of sense. It's something New Democrats have ran on in the past. Jack Layton actually first introduced this idea. We believe it would be something that would give immediate relief. It would provide real supports to those who who are, who are right now unable to find any other alternative. Uh, in addition, we want to provide more supports for people so they can use, uh, they can have access to grants if they want to upgrade their heating or find a way to find an alternative that's more more affordable to heat their homes. Right now, no one's got, a lot of people don't have the, the means to do that. There's It's so costly. Uh, it's something that's cost prohibitive. So if we could provide a program that would give people easier access so they could actually upgrade their heating and move to something that's more affordable, that would help them in the long run bring down their costs, that might be a, a good alternative. So that's what we're looking at as well. Hi, thanks for uh, taking my questions. Um, this is kind of related to the election cycle the question that you were asked earlier. Just saying, are you are you targeting liberal seats on the East Coast? We're, we want to win all seats across the country. We want to win seats because we want to form government. And, and the reason why I want to do that is we've seen in two minority governments in a row the difference that we've had directly in the lives of people. In the pandemic, we can confidently say that every single measure that has helped out people, that helped out people in that time was either something we proposed and forced the government to do or something that we improved on. And people were better off because of it. And now in this minority government, we've got an agreement that's going to deliver dental care. It's going to deliver more supports for workers that has already doubled the GSC rebate, that made child care funding permanent and, and prioritizing not-for-profit and public spaces. So we're making a real difference, but it's not enough for me to just push government. I want to be the one calling the shots and make sure the decisions are made in the interest of working people. So that's what we're running for. We're running to form the next government. I want to be the next prime minister. I want Mary Shortle here in St. John East to not just be a member of parliament with the New Democratic Party, but to be a member of the government where we're governing and making decisions for working people. And that seems to be their main issue. Well, we look at the conservatives and really they're not offering anything meaningful. They're saying that this, the same thing that got us in this problem, just do more of it to get out of it. And that's not going to work. Uh, what we're proposing is, is a real thoughtful approach. We know we need to build more homes in general, so we've got to do that rapidly. The federal government's got to be involved in that. And the conservatives are not talking about federal government really being involved. They're talking about trying to somehow discourage red tape or, or penalize cities that, that don't build. What we're talking about is we've got to make federal investments and build more homes. We're going to build more homes privately, but we also have to specifically identify the fact that there's a massive gap in purpose-built rental. We were doing some analysis around countries around the world that have got more affordable housing. And one thing that stuck out in eight countries in Europe, which we compared to Canada, 
percent of their housing market was rentals. In Canada, it's only four percent. So there's a big gap there. On top of that, what makes us different from the Conservatives is we're talking about non-market housing. For a lot of people, whether you've got a good income, whether you've got a lower income, Non uh, market housing is simply unaffordable. You can't afford the market rents in, in many communities. You can't afford the market home prices. So we also have to build non market housing, and that's something that really sets us apart. We're looking at not for profit housing. Cooperative housing is a real solution, and it's got to be a part of the mix. When we hear the conservatives, they're not looking at it in a thoughtful way. They don't have a thoughtful answer that addresses the real problems that we're up against. We're, provi- we're providing that real solution. We also talk about it in an acquisition fund so that it allows different communities that are, that are losing affordable housing to keep those affordable units either not-for-profit, turn them into cooperatives, own them municipally, own them by the people, but making sure we keep what we have that's affordable and ending rent evictions, which is really kicking a lot of people out of affordable homes. No problem. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, you alluded in an answer to a previous question that liberals will, some liberals will switch their vote to the NDP in the next election. But why do you think they will switch their vote when they have personally benefited because of the confidence and supply agreement you have? Well, I think when it comes down to it, what, what uh, people are seeing is that they're not benefiting from the liberals. They're benefiting from New Democrats forcing the government to act. And some people are saying to us, why, why go through this having New Democrats force liberals elect more New Democrats and the New Democrats can have more decisions uh, or make more, make more decisions that benefit our lives. And we're seeing more and more that, that, that sense of, of dissatisfaction. People are upset with the liberals and, and are not feeling like their needs are being met. And they're seeing us, New Democrats, fight for them, really fight to take on the issues that matter to them. We're the ones championing the fact that people need to be able to afford their groceries and that high grocery prices are something that the federal government has to step up and do something about. We're the ones talking about making sure we tackle the housing crisis with non-market housing. And we're the ones that have delivered the first expansion of our healthcare system in a generation with dental care. So more and more people are seeing that it's actually New Democrats that are making their life better. Why don't we vote for those who are fighting for us? And, and I think for a long time, liberals have taken people's vote for granted. Here in Atlantic Canada, they think, well, people just vote for us because that's what they do. And I want to put to, to Canadians, I want to put to Atlantic Canadians, that you deserve someone that's going to fight for you. And we've shown that time and time again throughout the pandemic in this minority government, we're fighting for people and we're delivering real, real results that make people's lives better. Um, and then Pierre Polyev, he, he has done a tour of Atlantic Canada in recent weeks, and he has said that Atlantic people often get lost in Ottawa. Do you believe in that sentiment? I think it's true. And I think that Newfoundland and Newfoundlanders and Labradorians know very well what it feels to be to be lost when they were completely ignored under Harper the Harper government and the Harper Conservatives. They remember that very well, the way the Harper government treated Newfoundland and Labrador and the rest of Atlantic Canada. And folks are not going to forget the fact that Pierre Polyev wasn't just a backbencher, but was a key member of Harper's team. This is a Harper Conservative. And what Harper wanted to do and tried to do was cut pensions, cut EI, cut health care. What Newfoundlanders want is the exact opposite. They want an EI system that actually works. They want to see pensions that are strong and allow them to retire with dignity. And they want to see investments in public health care. Well, that's the exact opposite of what conservatives have done in the past and are proposing to do again. So Newfoundlanders and Labradorians don't want another Harper-style government that's going to cut all the things they need. 
and I put to the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, you need someone that's going to fight for you, that's going to stand up for you. Take on the high cost of groceries, like the price, uh, like the, the store behind me. Stand up for you and fight to make sure that our healthcare system remains public and we expand it to include medication coverage and dental care. You need a fighter like Mary Shortle, who's going to stand up for workers like she's done her whole life. Not someone that talks, talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. That's what you get with New Democrats, someone who's actually going to be there for you and fight for you. And that is the federal NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh, in St. John's uh, this week. And uh, you heard him reference there, go back to the the famous Harper quote from uh, a few years back. I think it was in uh, 2002. Wow, 21 years ago. And the exact quote from uh, Stephen Harper at the time. There is a dependence in the region that breeds a culture of defeatism, the opposition leader at the time said in the House of Commons. So there you go. That one will follow him around. And sadly, the conservatives, sadly or realistically, it will follow the conservatives for some time yet. Um, We're coming up to the news here on News Talk, uh, straight to a more um, broad view of the news from the newsroom and then we'll get back and delve into a little bit more we uh, will hear from uh, helen conway ottenheimer the opposition justice critic on uh, the spike in crime rate and everything else that's going on with crime in the province and in the city right now i'm brian callahan on news talk we'll be right back after the news stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your vocm join linda swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you news talk on your vocm Welcome back to the program. Uh, Earlier this afternoon, um, the um, opposition justice critic Helen Conway-Ottenheimer called a news briefing to discuss some of the troubling crime stats we're seeing. Uh, Of course, spike here in the province, 5-6% over the past year and up significantly, almost 13-15% to in the last 10 years. Uh, Well, uh, Helen Conway-Ottenheimer wanted to get some of that off her chest and propose some solutions and what the government should be doing to address it. So um, with respect to the uh, increase in the crime rate, I think that is uh, what prompted me to uh, want to speak out today. Um, I think that's disturbing. I think that's something we all have to be very concerned about. Um, When we see the um, rise, um, 5%, for example, in the last year, uh, all we have to do is turn on the news, and we're hearing reports of, um, you know, crimes and increased crimes in our communities and in our towns, not just in St. John's, but in rural uh, province, in, in the rural part of, parts of our province. Um, so we need to uh, look at this. We need to address it. And that's why I felt uh, it important to speak out on this today. What needs to be addressed? Well, first of all, I think a very important piece of this puzzle uh, relates to enforcement uh, with respect to a police. And uh, when we see the allocation of our police resources, I think that it's important that they are better allocated. And I say that in regards to uh, policing priorities and the priorities that are set by our government. They need to be, first of all, focused more on the drug problems that we see in our, in our communities and in our towns. And I think that has to come from our government. It has to be um, clearly identified to our police to our law enforcement that drugs, there has to be a crackdown 
on illicit drugs that we see coming into our province. And I believe that that can be done if the, the province, if the government sets it as a priority. And I don't think that's being done. And we see that it's not working. We see with uh, the unfortunate and tragic deaths of our young people. We've, we, uh, my deepest condolences to the family, the Oliver, Olivera family, for the passing of their beautiful, um, beautiful loved one. And there are reportedly 10 other deaths uh, related to uh, overdoses with respect to fentanyl um, and, and cocaine. So we need to acknowledge and government needs to acknowledge that this is a serious problem. So one important piece of the problem, a piece of the puzzle, has to be with respect to police, and our Justice Department has to look at targeting drugs in our, in our communities and towns. So is this a resources issue needing more or better, or better allocation of what they already have? And let's talk solutions. What, what does the solution say for the illicit drug problem and the overdose problem they're not having? So first of all, with respect to whether it's a resource or an allocation issue, it is my belief that it is more of an allocation issue. Um, the police, from what I hear from uh, police officials in our province, is that they need, the government needs to take heed to this serious problem with respect to drugs in, in our society. And if they allocate the funds properly and really set those priorities, set that mandate for police, for law enforcement to target, whether it be through increased surveillance, whether it be through um, you know, more enhanced investigation, those are the things that have to have to be done with respect to allocation. So they really have to take this seriously. When I heard the Minister of Justice, I mean the Minister of Health, uh, in the media say that uh, we can't uh, control the sale of drugs. Uh, in our province. Now that to me is, a, is, is very, that message I have some serious concerns about. Because is that uh, an admission that we basically have failed and we can't do anything with the sale of drugs? I mean, we need to look at this. We need to target this. We need to have a crackdown on illicit drugs. We know the damaging impact and, and, and the effects of drug use in our, in our societies. And if it's not addressed. We can't just have a passive attitude. We need to be more aggressive and more assertive in terms of allocating our resources. Prioritizing, it's about priorities. Government has to say this is a priority for our police. Let's get um, focused on cracking down on the flow of illicit drugs into our province. How are they coming in? You know, how are they coming into our province? I mean, I know it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to determine. Maybe it's organized crime. I don't know. But if the police, I have quite, I have confidence in the police that they have the ability with the proper direction from our government that you've got to focus on the drug problem in our province, then I believe that we can, um, you know, make things better in terms of um, addressing this serious problem. 
Yes, and you're right. It is one piece of the problem is with respect to police enforcement, but there are deeper societal issues that have to be addressed. We need to look at poverty. For example, the government, um, you know, have not put in place any poverty reduction plan. I mean, there needs to be a strategy, a poverty reduction focus, so that that important issue, because that we know those are deeper causes and, and root causes that are connected to crime, as well as housing. That is also important uh, piece of it. Um, so, you know, yes, it is a complex issue, but we all have to work together and all levels of government have to work together. When we look at the crime, when we look at the drug problem, for example, we know municipalities have to be able to look to, um, you know, the minister, the Department of Health for support. Um, you know, when the police, they're out on the streets trying to do their job to protect our society, they need to be able to get direction from government, you know, as to priorities and with respect to the drug problem. Um, so we all have to work together. Um, and I think by doing that, you know, we can make things better for uh, the people in this province. We've always, Newfoundland and Labrador, and, and Newfoundlanders and Labradorians have always prided ourselves on being a safe society. And I do believe that we are safe. I do still believe that that is the case. But we are changing, and we have to be realistic. We have to uh, take heed that there is a problem here, and yes, uh, there needs to be supports in terms of to uh, mental health supports and supports with respect to substance abuse with people who have uh, addictions and who are suffering uh, from mental health issues. But we also look, have to look at preventative measures as well. And uh, I think if we all work together uh, with that goal in mind. I think that um, you know we can we can address this. I'll go back one second to the RNC when you mentioned they might take some, the police, and not just here, see the RNC as well, might take some umbrage in fact that they're not prioritizing drugs or crackdowns on drugs. We see busts from time to time, and, the, and we know there are investigations ongoing constantly whether or not it comes to a, an actual seizure. So why are they prioritizing above drugs then if you're saying they're not prioritizing? Well, I, I don't, let, let me be clear, I don't, I'm not saying that it is the police. The police receive their direction from government. Government sets priorities when they meet with law enforcement, for example, with the RCMP. They direct what is, is a priority. So, um, you know, I need that to be clear. This isn't, um, you know, um, an indictment about our police forces. I believe it's government. They are the ones that are accountable. They are the ones that are responsible to set those priorities and to say we have a zero tolerance on drugs in our community because we're seeing beautiful young lives being taken. And this isn't about fear-mongering either. As I say, I do believe we have a safe place to live. And that's why, you know, people love Newfoundland and Labrador, because we can raise our children and, and in, a, in a safe place. But the, the thing is, the police have to, um, you know, have that support and direction from government. So it starts from the top. And uh, I believe that if that were to happen, uh, instead of having a complacent attitude like, well, we can't control the sale of drugs, 
drugs uh, in our streets or, you know, we can't control the product. For the Minister of Health to say that, that message is a very, very concerning to me. We have to take a more um, aggressive approach, uh, and the Minister of Justice needs to speak on this to say that, you know, yes, he, he is um, on board with us having a different approach, having a different mindset, have, thinking differently about this than in, instead of saying that uh, there's nothing we really can do. What's missing? Well, as I say, I think what's missing is that there needs to be more focus on drugs. I think that's a big part of this puzzle, that we need to look at the prevalence of drugs in our community. I think that it needs government needs to take heed, and I don't think that they're doing that. From what I hear, I mean, I hear it in, in, in my district where, you know, constituents that I represent, I hear it from law enforcement, that it, we do have a serious problem with drugs in our societies, and it is connected to the rise in crime. There's no question. We see property-related offenses, for example. Uh, we heard experts speak about that. Criminologists from uh, Memorial spoke about that uh, in the media today, saying how property offenses, thefts, uh, break-and-enters, those kinds of offenses are linked to drugs and drug use and substance abuse. Um, you know, we also know for example, when we look at interpartner, intimate partner violence, the cost of living, that also is a, is a factor because we see the pressures that people feel uh, trying to struggle to make things meet. The ordinary working person, for example, is struggling to make things, you know, to, to make ends meet. And uh, so by that, we look at, at the stresses, the financial stress that causes on the family. And we do know that that is connected to the rise of domestic violence, of intimate partner violence. So, you know, yes, there are resources out there, but I think this really has to come back to government. They have to take the lead. They have to focus uh, on, on the reality that we have a serious problem with drugs in our community, uh, in, in our towns. And once that, that zero tolerance and whatever, you know, in terms of supporting our police uh, in doing their job and prioritizing, I think then, you know, we can make some progress, real progress here. That is the uh, opposition uh, justice critic, Helen Conway-Ottenheimer, speaking with reporters earlier this afternoon uh, outside the House of Assembly in the Scrum area there. She was responding, of course, to all the recent news um, regarding crime. Of course, crime is up in the province, according to statistics, but also the rash of uh, recent overdoses and issues with the cocaine and fentanyl and uh, well, uh, as everyone is saying, the province is changing. It's changing over time, the demographics, the population, even the climate. Um, everything is in a flux right now. And um, you heard there Helen Conway-Ottenheimer looking for some solutions for government to deal with some of these problems. A uh, little over the break there, Fonz. Apologies for that. Um, we're going to take a short break here. Last one for the afternoon before we head into the home stretch here on News Talk. I'm Brian Callahan in for Linda Swain. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Uh, time for one more small piece here. Uh, Fonz. 
Got your EV yet? No. I would <laughs> I, I, I would like one. Little out of my price range, but uh, I think my next vehicle will probably be one, providing they have one as big of like a Dodge Caravan so I can haul all my gear around on the weekend. Oh, that's the trick, isn't it, right? I mean, the capacity for batteries and that sort of thing mm-hmm. in some of the larger vehicles, that's why buses and... And airplanes and that sort of thing aren't flying on them yet, but uh, they will be. And I guess, you know, it looks, it feels a lot like, you know, when microwaves or VCRs came on. They're the most expensive when they first come on the market. Yeah. And then volume, capacity, uh, pr- uh, demand. Just you bide know. my time. Absolutely. <laughs> no, me too. Uh, I did buy, um, I did my, my lawnmower, my gas lawnmower after 15 years. Wow. Shout out to Canadian Tire. 15-year lawnmower. Uh, this year was the first year. It, I always said if it wouldn't start on the third try, that was it for her. And she always started on the second or third, but this year it just wouldn't. No. So out I went and bought an electric lawnmower, and I love it. Cool. I, I love I, it. I'm, uh, my parents' neighbors have one of the, like, Roomba lawnmowers, mm. the, the remote thing, and I'm in awe whenever it goes out. <laughs> I'm that, I'm, I'm like, let's go for a walk down the street. <laughs> I have a neighbor with a bit of a mansion that has one of those. It's just, I just see it going around every day by itself. No one around the house, just things back and forth. Around. Although I wonder how it gets around. There's a couple of spots it doesn't get, and that would drive me nuts. So. Yeah, well, my friend does have a, uh, another friend has a uh, Roomba in their house, and let's just say, we we still chuckle at the dog had an accident and the Roomba <laughs> tried to clean it up and just made things a lot worse. Yeah, some things don't compute. Nope. Uh, well, speaking of EVs, um, John Seri, of course, with Drive Electric NL, um, they held a, a little announcement this afternoon to, to, well, not a little one, a big one with a bunch of uh, new investments and new initiatives. Um, let's see, COA and Department of Industry, Energy and Technology, they're investing hundred, almost $120,000 and 46000 respectively, um, federal, then to provincial, uh, for Drive Electric to, uh, for education for rural municipalities and tourism organizations throughout the province to try to get in, you know, try to make the most of the benefits and uh, deal with the challenges of EB, of uh, shifting to EV. So uh, John Seri had a little bit of an announcement then, and I'll come back with more details after we hear a little uh, from him. In the early stages of EV adoption, which our province is, and there's other provinces who are ahead of us, so we can see what's coming, a lot of people really want to see this information firsthand before they make their next vehicle electric. And they want to talk to other owners. And getting that kind of consult, that kind of communication going is what's critical and what we have been doing with the investment from the province, is getting ourselves and getting the other owners in front of the future owners. And I really appreciate the province's help and assistance both this year and last year in making that happen. We are also keenly aware of the province's ongoing investment in support of expanding EV charging infrastructure. This isn't always the case across the country. Not all provinces are doing the same thing. We are starting to see more and more that Newfoundland and Labrador is being shown as a leader in EV charging infrastructure. Just the other day, somebody took a picture of them fast charging at one of the chargers in Newfoundland and pasted it into the group for Nova Scotia and said, this is how it's done. A charger, a garbage can, a windshield wash, and a place to park. Take note, Nova Scotia. (laughs) Which was a bit more than I would have said, but point was taken. Switching to an electric vehicle is the first major change in our personal transportation in over 100 years. 
We've been doing the same thing for so long that nobody thinks about it anymore. Everybody has questions and concerns. Everybody wants to see how is this done? How does it work for me? Am I going to run out of charge? How do I plug in at home? How do they work this in my fleets? What are the first responders going to do? And so on and so on. So EV owners know that it's best to charge where you sleep. It's most convenient. It's the same as your phone. So getting the hospitality operators of this province to understand that a simple investment in charging infrastructure, which they can then charge back to their guests, means that the people who visit this province can go anywhere they want in their EV. They love driving these things. And then they don't have to worry about charging if the hospitality all has that charging facility available to them. And that's what determined where we stayed as we went across Canada. So one of the projects that we're doing here is working with the 80-odd hotels in this province to get that information in front of them. See, that's all I had to do. You all understand it now. It takes a little while to get it to all of you. <laughs> takes a little while indeed. That's John Seary there of uh, Drive Electric NL. I got a question. So will we still call them motor vehicles? Um, I mean, is an engine, I suppose, electric engine. Electric. Electric motor. Will we have to change it so no longer a motor vehicle on the road? Is it going to change it to the news releases and everything that we get from the police? And We'll have to change some of our vernacular, I imagine. Yeah. That well, uh, It'll just be a vehicle. Yeah, I guess uh, so. An electric vehicle? Because there are probably still... There. I think it's going to be quite a while before we no longer see, like, combustion engines on the road. Like, like will we still call it motor vehicle registration? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll drop the motor, right? It'll it'll be vehicle registration, and you're going to have to register your bike. My brain works in strange ways. Oh, speaking of those, those things fly down the pedestrian mall. I love the idea. There's a lot of these yeah. new, um, the Pedego, I think they're called. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's great. You can rent you know, electric bikes downtown, but they they can go a little faster than I'm comfortable with. We were walking the pedestrian mall the other day, and a guy flew by me. And if we had stepped one way or the other without knowing he was coming, so uh, I just say that, you know, as a uh, public service announcement to watch your bobber on, uh, on the pedestrian mall when those electric bikes are going by. And don't forget those little electric scooters people put on a helmet yeah. because those suckers can pick up some speed, too. And you know what? You stop suddenly, <laughs> your head's a melon. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I saw four or five of them in a group the other day. And they're on the side of the road, and they're flying along. Uh, I don't know at what point the speed might be something worth looking into with the RNC and the different uh, rules of the road, but at what point is it fast enough or motorized enough that it needs a little, you know, either they stay on the side of the road or they go with the regular traffic or what, because it just seems like right now everybody's getting, trying to get used to having them right next to you with the speeds the cars drive. Now, something that's I've noticed popular over the last, say, year or two out in CBS, mopeds. Yeah. Little gas-powered bikes that, yeah, you, you hear them coming up behind you. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Some of them you don't. The electric, yeah, no, car- the electric ones you don't hear at all. And that's the other thing we have to get used to. I was at an intersection the other day. I went to cross because I didn't hear an engine, and here was just um, the uh, vehicle was moving out right behind me. I never noticed it because it was just quiet as, a, quiet as a mouse, which is nice. I don't. So motorcycles. There's another question. Will a motorcyclist really want to still drive it if it doesn't make any noise? Oh, they'll put an audio tune into it. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough of me and my pontifications for today. This. Thanks, Fonz. Appreciate the feedback. No problem, my friend. Uh, let's head off to the day in review. I'm Brian Callahan, and for Linda Swain on News Talk today. Uh, we will have news talk again tomorrow with Richard Duggan, I believe, depending. And it looks like Regatta will be a go, but. Uh, We'll have to wait till tomorrow morning. And Brian Medora, 6 a.m. sharp. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you tomorrow.